Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the NBA Podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and in today's episode, we'll talk about All-Star Game Reserves, who was a snub and who deserved their spot. We'll also talk about the Eastern Conference basically imploding before <laughs> our very eyes. Before we get underway here... Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod, and there you can find all three of our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can find us on iTunes. We'd love if you subscribe, uh, download our episodes, and leave some feedback. We'd love any reviews that you have for us. We're also being hosted this year on FanRag Sports, so give them a follow on Twitter at FanRag Sports, and for their NBA content at FanRag NBA. This week, as always, I'm joined by Sarah Chalea. How's it going, Sarah? Going all right. We're not Bulls fans, so. <laughs> I know, exactly. I, I, I do cheer for an Eastern Conference team, but somehow the Sixers are not the ones imploding for it. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. hi this next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. A pleasant change. Um, our third co-host, Morton Jensen, could not join us today. Pretty sure it's just a mental health day because his team is imploding, which we will touch upon shortly. Uh, first, we're going to talk briefly about the All-Star Game Reserves. They were announced Thursday night on TNT. We will go through them quickly right now. In the West, we have Russell Westbrook, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, DeAndre Jordan, DeMarcus Cousins, Marcus Gasol, and Gordon Hayward. In the East, no, I would say not many surprises in either section, really. Uh, we have John Wall, Isaiah Thomas, Kemba Walker, Kyle Lowry, Kevin Love, Paul Millsap, and Paul George. So, Sarah, did anyone stand out to you on either side as a notable snub or a surprise? You know, I'm actually pretty happy with the way they turned out. Um, it's odd that, that they didn't give Chris Paul's spot and then replace him, but mm -hmm. uh, whatever. <laughs> I mean, obviously he's injured, <laughs> but still a little strange. Mike Conley is a guy that, at the beginning of the season, I thought really had a beat on getting a spot, and I would have liked to see him get it. <laughs> What's funny is, like, the first hour or two after they came out, I didn't watch the show, so I just followed on the internet, and I must have seen something wrong, and I thought Conley made it. <laughs> so, uh -huh. so I was a little surprised. Uh, 
I saw somebody eventually complaining that he didn't make it. I'm like, but he did make it. Wait, what? <laughs> so, yeah, that was great. Um, yeah, a little disappointed for him, obviously. I get it. He, he's missed 12 games, but still, he's been pretty important to that team. And, and uh, as you pointed out, he's having a career year. So mm-hmm. that's a little disappointing. Um, honestly, there's a real argument that could be made for either DeAndre or Gobert. Uh, it's mm-hmm. really close, so I don't feel like it was a huge snub to uh, to go bare. But you know, we could have solved that argument pretty easily by keeping them both out and just putting Conley in. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good. It's all good. Uh, Embiid, I would have liked to see make it as well. Um, his numbers actually, in many cases, surpassed Millsaps in fewer minutes. But there again, mm-hmm. he's missed a lot of games, so I get it. But um, We'll enjoy him in the Rising Stars game, and if he is even close to keeping up this um, production next year and or surpasses it and he gets to be on the floor a little more, he's definitely a lock, so I can't get too upset yet. Yeah, I don't think we have to worry about Joel Embiid turning into the next Mike Conley and just not making an all-star game even though he deserves it for 10 years. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I don't think there were any... The only egregious one that I would say is, like you mentioned, Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously the injury, he was not going to actually play in the game, and Adam Silver would have needed to name a replacement. That said, he's been playing at a, I mean, he. I think he leads the league in ESPN's real plus minus by like a considerable margin. Um, and considering the seasons that like James Harden and Russell Westbrook yeah. and Kevin Durant are having, that's insane. Um, you know, it, there's always this debate of like, should all-star games or like, should all-star appearances matter when you're talking about a player's legacy? Cause it's just a fan vote and, you know, Zaza Pachulia almost made the damn thing last mm-hmm. year, but like it does factor into that like hall of fame, uh, discussion yeah. later on in their careers. So while CP three obviously would not have been playing in the game, I still think he deserved the nod and then let Adam Silver choose. I'm with you. I would have liked to see Mike Conley get in there as well. I wrote a thing about that uh, at the step back about why he's deserving. But yeah, I mean, you basically nailed it. He's playing career best, uh, just about every advanced metric. He's putting up career best numbers. Um, I mean, he's still vitally important to the Grizzlies. They're, I think, two points per 100 possessions better with him on the court versus off which is less than last year, but they played surprisingly well in his absence last year. And the dude, like, he broke his back and missed two and a half weeks. Like, he was supposed to be out for six to eight, and he broke his back and was back in two and a half weeks. So it's crazy. just for, yeah, just for being, like, unbreakable. Uh, <laughs> you should have got the like, just for that. Yeah, yeah, honestly, yes. Like, that toughness, it deserves some recognition. Um, but... Unfortunately, Conley will have to wait yet again for next year. I mean, I think it's really the tough thing for him is there are just so many damn good guards out West. Like, you have to beat out Paul, Westbrook, and Curry, not to mention, like, Damian Lillard. You know, it's just, it's an insane ask for anyone to surpass those three guys. And putting four-point guards on the roster might not be palatable. Um, In the East, you know... Obviously, I could put on my Homer hat and say Embiid and deserved a bid. Uh, I think Millsap is just as deserving, and I, you know, since this is from the coaches, I'm going to guess they value 
Millsap playing, you mm-hmm. know, nearly twice as many minutes as Embiid. I think that's fair. Um, that said, I, I do wonder if you took these votes, like, you know, a couple weeks later, had, you know, now that the Sixers have suddenly become good, yeah. uh, or I, yeah, maybe that changes things. But Millsap, he, you know, he's catching a lot of heat on Twitter. He's de- uh, he's most certainly deserving yeah. of his spot. Like, let's not crap on Paul Millsap just because we're upset. Embiid would have been more fun. That said. You know, the, the All-Star game, it's like, it's about having fun. It's not about playing good, solid, fundamental basketball. There will be very little defense until the last few minutes. So for that reason, Millsap just isn't stylistically as good of a fit as Embiid. Whereas Embiid is just so, it's just so fun mm-hmm. to watch play that <laughs> he would have been a great fit. But again, he'll he'll be there probably as early as next year. You know, joining him soon will be Carl Anthony Towns, Kristaps, probably Miles Turner, Nikola Jokic, hopefully. Uh, so, we'll, rest assured, we'll have some fun All-Star games in the future. Yeah, and meanwhile, we, we, can... we get to see all those guys pretty much that you mentioned in the Rising Stars game. So, yeah. it's going to be fun. That's true. I That game is going to give me nightmares because Embiid and Porzingis <laughs> yeah. are on the same team. And I'll just wonder what could have been. So, I... I'm going to watch like two minutes of that game until it gets too painful. Oh, and then right. I'm going to turn it off and flip off Josh Harris for, <laughs> <laughs> for conspiracy theory overruling Hinky and making him take over for. Um, okay, so now that we touched on All-Star Reserves, I mean, I, I think Morton, I, we, I can't speak for him, but I'm pretty sure he's going to feel the same way. <laughs> Maybe he would have wanted Rajon Rondo in the <laughs> game. Who knows? But let's let's turn our attention now to whatever the hell is going on in the East. It, it's really like a three-way competition right now between the Bulls, the Cavs, and the Knicks as to who can be the most dysfunctional. And prior to Wednesday, it seemed like the Cavs had the number one spot locked up. But I'd say the Bulls ran away with it in the last couple of days. So let's touch on them first, and then we'll hit the Cavs and the Knicks. So the Bulls... Wednesday night, they're playing the Atlanta Hawks. They have a 10-point lead with three minutes left. They proceed to blow that lead. After the game, Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade let loose on their teammates. And I'm going to read a couple of quick quotes just to give some perspective as to what they said. Wade said, quote, We continue to be in these kinds of situations and lose games like this. Everyone don't care enough. You've got to care enough, man. It's got to mean that much to you to want to win. And it doesn't. So I don't know what happened. And then he continued, This just can't be acceptable if you want to do something besides have an NBA jersey on and make some money. That's all we're doing around here. Jimmy Butler said, I mean, if you don't come in pissed off after you lose any game, if you're not pissed off that you lost, man, something is wrong. This is what you're supposed to love to do, and I don't think that everybody looks at it that way. I want to play with guys that care, guys that play hard, that want to do well for this organization, that want to win games, man. Do whatever it takes, just win. So to provide some perspective on these comments, uh, Casey Johnson of the Chicago Tribune tweeted that most of their frustration was directed at Nikola Mirotic, who missed a go-ahead three-pointer with about 30 seconds left in that game, and Michael Carter-Williams, who did not play on Wednesday night, he had turned in two pretty mediocre performances as the starting point guard prior to that game. 
And for whatever reason, Fred Hoiberg switched his lineup, completely benched MCW, put Jerry and Grant as his starter, and then Rajon Rondo, who had fallen out of favor, as his backup. So already right there, the Bulls, that's just, you know, a nightmare situation in and of itself. Then Rajon Rondo adds more fuel to the fire, goes on Instagram on Thursday. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he basically, he, he starts by saying, my vets would never go to the media. They would come to the team. My vets didn't pick and choose when they wanted to bring it. They brought it every time they stepped in the gym, whether it was a practice or a game. They didn't take days off, which you could pretty clearly read as a shot at Rondo or at uh, Wade Butler. So that was Thursday. Uh, we're recording this on Friday. The Bulls just had their shoot-around. Gar Foreman came to address the media uh, to talk about this situation. He basically delivered, I think, Sarah, you said he was in front of the media for a minute and 30 seconds. Yep. He delivered one short statement, took no questions, and left. <laughs> so, Sarah, what what do you think is going on here in Chicago? Do you think Wade and Butler's anger is justified? And was Rubon, was Rondo's rebuttal him trying to force his way out of Chicago? <laughs> I don't know uh, if, if Rondo had ulterior motives for that or not. I, I got, It's such a mess, Ryan. Like, I don't even know where to start in answering your questions. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think everybody in that whole situation has reasons to be frustrated. I don't think that they dealt with it in a constructive, productive way, but... It happened the way it happened. <laughs> um, you know, I, Rondo actually had a point. Now, I don't think he really handled it the best either. But, yeah, I, you don't. We're going to talk about, like, three different teams, as you mentioned, kind of mm -hmm. trying to implode here. And <laughs> <laughs> this isn't, wouldn't solve any of their issues. There are legitimate issues. But going to the media about it and making stuff public exacerbates everything. And right. That's pretty much what they all have done, or else we wouldn't be here talking about it. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a problem. I, you know, Butler and Wade, you would think Wade would have would have known better. Butler, I, I think he's trying to approximate whatever he thinks leadership is, and sometimes he's getting it wrong. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Wade knows better than that, so that's a little surprising. And I don't think that you can't, go to the media and say, hey, we were terrible and be accountable. But, you know, not when you, you know, those two guys had scored 70. So it would have been right. a little, you know, disingenuous to say, oh, we were terrible. But that's really the only way you can do it. You have to have a united front. You have to be accountable and you have to be a part of your team. You can't, you know, isolate yourself from your teammates in that way. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge mess. But as Morton and many other Bulls fans, long-suffering, have pointed out many times, <laughs> it starts at the very top. And yeah. and I think that was even more obvious today with the way that it was all handled. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, there's really no more that I can add to that, but you know what I'm talking about. Yes, with Gar slinking away mm -hmm. without taking a single question, probably not the best way to handle it. I, I feel like uh, former... Sixers general manager Sam Hinkie caught a lot of crap for being equally uh, invisible mm -hmm. in front of the media, especially you know when the Jaleel Okafor situation with the DUI and the whole thing uh, early last year. You know he left Brett Brown to basically 
take those bullets and he caught a lot of crap for it. And, you know, that, that seemed to be the direct impetus for Jerry Colangelo to come in and ultimately his resignation. So, you know, it's, it's weird. You would think this would give the bulls an opportunity to say, you know what, this direction was, this wasn't the right way to go. This is our chance to blow it up. We can, you know, we can buy out Rondo because he clearly does not want to be here. Uh, and we, you know, have already basically ruined whatever remaining trade value he had by knocking him out of the rotation. Um, but instead, it just seems like it's business as usual in Chicago, which is insane. You know, I'm going to channel my inner Morton here because, as you mentioned, yes. <laughs> he has been very much on the fire Garpax train for a long time here. But, you know, even coming into the season, you didn't need to be a basketball expert to say, hey, this Rondo Wade Butler thing probably isn't going to work because none of them shoot threes all that well. Lo and behold, they are last in the league in three-point made three-pointers per game, and three-point field goal percentage. It's not rocket science here. You can't play with three guys who don't have a consistent three-point shot. So, you know, as you said, it starts at the top. I feel like, yeah, they can be angry that, you know, Nico is the guy taking that would-be game winner instead of either Jimmy or Wade because, you know, as you said, they had 70 points. Like, put the ball in your star's hands and let them go to work. Um, but like at a certain point it comes down to roster construction and this roster was built to fail. Like they never had a realistic chance. They started off hot and we were all surprised, but then at the time it like Wade was shooting like 50% on his threes. So it was like, well, is this, you know, going to continue happening or is it going to regress to the mean? Turns out he regressed, which comes as no surprise. So yeah, I mean, I, I feel like until the Bulls, settle on a direction, uh, <laughs> which they have not done. You know, they Gar Foreman, they trade Derrick Rose uh, at the tra- or right before the draft last year, and then he gives this press conference after drafting Denzel Valentine, where he's like, we were, we're going out, we're going to get younger guys, more energetic guys, guys who can shoot, which makes sense, because that's the style that Fred Hoiberg, when you hire him from Iowa State, that's how his Iowa State teams played so yeah it was like all right they settled on direction this makes sense let's rebuild around jimmy let's get a bunch of young guys you know let's be bad for a year or two get some more high draft picks and then see where this thing goes instead they go out and sign a 34 year old dwayne wade and a 30 year old rajon rondo so it really starts at the top as you said if they don't have a direction or if they're in this win now mode you know I think we've seen what happens. Like they, it seemed like they had the perfect opportunity to reset last summer when they traded Derek and let Joakim Noah walk. They realized that core had reached its end, mm-hmm. which was the right decision at the time. Um, but they wanted to stay relevant, which doesn't really make sense because this team hasn't had, you know, Denzel Valentine was their first lottery pick. I think, think since Derek Rose like they traded up for Doug McDermott a couple of years ago and in retrospect they probably could have used Gary Harris and use of Nurkic a little bit more than McBuckets uh but you know they, they haven't had the opportunity to rebuild through the draft because they've been too good for so long mm-hmm. so it makes sense 
if you want to go younger, more energetic, that's great. But you have to take the lumps that come along with it. Like you can't balance the two and stay in playoff contention, but still get good draft picks. That's not how the NBA works. So yeah, I'm with Morton at this point. Fire Garfax, hire Sam Hinkie, let him tank this thing to the ground. Because, uh, I mean, at this point, you know, Rondo, he's only owed $3 million guaranteed next year. I cannot fathom a situation in which he is back with the team. I believe Dwayne Wade has an opt-out in his contract. I, you know, based on this dysfunction, I don't know why he would stay around next year. It, Frankly, it seemed like he might even try to be angling for a buyout and then maybe he'll sign like a minimum deal with Cleveland after the uh, trade deadline and we can get team banana boat (laughs) up in full force. I think he already, uh, you know, admitted as much that of course, obviously what's going on this year is going to weigh into what he decides to do. Yeah. And he said like, if they trade Butler, I'm basically out. So, you know, I don't, you know, Morton has advocated for trading Butler I think, again, if if you find the right price, that's fine. But I'm not saying it's a move they have to make. Uh, But I do think it's time for Chicago to embrace the fact that they need to rebuild. And it's going to be a multi-year process. These are not overnight transformations. So unless you can get, like, Nikola Jokic and Danilo Gallinari (laughs) and a couple picks from the Nuggets for Jimmy Butler... Uh, it's going to be painful, but you just have to take your lumps and not try to <laughs> shortcut your way through with Wade and Rondo. Yeah, the um, the, the Nets should really be the cautionary tale for everyone doing the you know win now thing. Oh my God! It, yeah, it very rarely goes right. I, I I don't know if everybody has just a picture of the this '08 Celtics in their head or what it is, but yeah, you know, by and large, when you go chasing the the vets, and I get it, you should have a vet or two on your team, you know don't necessarily want to be a locker room full of young guys but yeah I have no idea nor does anybody else uh, what went into the signing of Rondo and Wade both of them maybe one maybe Wade right but mm-hmm. why and hey I will cop to the fact that like eight years ago I remember distinctly having the thought that if I had to pick a point guard to like start and build my team around and run my team it was Rondo mm-hmm. I really yeah. you know felt that way but that was a good eight years ago, or whatever. Yeah, right. So you do have to stay up with the times, and yeah, the frustration, like we said, starts with the roster, and it was a roster that was put together from the guys at the top, and they haven't handled anything else that has been born of that well this whole season. Yeah, I I saw on Twitter uh, last night. Forget who was going back and forth with someone, but they they were going back and forth with a guy about how Rodno, like, you know, basically all of the Gar Pack selling points. Like, he's a former champion. He's a former all-star. He led the league in assists last year. And this guy was like, no, he sucks. Like, he's really bad now. Like, I just watch a single Bulls game. He is bad on both, both offense and defense. He is going to be playing in China in two years. Like, yes, he was a... He, he did win a ring, and he was a former all-star. And he did, like... Yeah, had a bunch of empty stats last year in Sacramento, but look at how bad Sacramento was. Like, he's just not a productive player on a good team anymore. And it's, you know, make of that what you will, uh, it, whether it's, like, him just not giving a damn after making millions of dollars and winning a ring and, you know, now bouncing across a couple bad teams, or maybe the league just changed. Like, you know, 
10 years ago, it didn't really matter as much if your point guard couldn't shoot. Yeah. Now it's very hard to build a contender around a point guard who can't shoot. I think that's mainly what it is. Yeah, it's just really hard for anybody right now. Yeah, if you can't shoot, it's a problem. But yeah, especially your main ball handler. Yeah, so Morton should be back next week. We're going to let him just go off for 10 minutes at the beginning of the episode so he could just flush all of his guard packs rage out. <laughs> but we wanted to give you a preview this week. Let's turn our attention now to the Cavaliers, uh, who I mentioned as a possible D-Wade buyout situation. <laughs> uh, LeBron James, you know, this is his annual tradition. Things are going well for them. All of a sudden, they hit a rough patch in the regular season. He starts throwing some shade in the media and on Twitter just to kind of create conflict. They come together. They make the finals. All is good. It feels like that's going to happen again this year, but... This is the annual time where, you know, they lost five of seven prior to losing Wednesday uh, against Sacramento. So after that Monday night loss against the Pelicans, I believe Anthony Davis did not play in that game either. Um, James, who has, you know, been harping a couple weeks now on their need for a backup playmaker behind him and Kyrie Irving, he said, quote, we have a top heavy team. We top heavy as shit. We need a fucking playmaker. I'm not saying you can just go find one like you can go outside and see trees. I didn't say that. Uh, (laughs) Which is just an awesome quote. Uh, General Manager David Griffin then met with LeBron prior to the Sacramento game on Wednesday. Uh, He also spoke with reporters and said he was frustrated by LeBron's comments that, you know, Cleveland, he hoped that Cleveland wasn't satisfied as an organization. Griffin said, quote, the comment about the organization being complacent, I think, is really misguided. Uh, then Thursday, ESPN.com's Brian Windhorst comes out with a report saying there is growing tension between LeBron and Cleveland Cavaliers owner Dan Gilbert over payroll spending, even though the Cavs have the highest payroll in the league. So, Sarah, does Cleveland need to make a major move, such as, say, trading Kevin Love or Tristan Thompson? By the trade deadline, or do you think they should just play it cool? Uh, you know, wait for J.R. Smith to come back from his injury, wait to get Kyle, Kyle, uh, Kyle yes, Kyle Korver a little more integrated, uh, and then see what happens on the buyout market. No, I don't think they need to make a major move. I, we are talking about the defending champs. I, I understand that what they're up against is pretty unprecedented as far as what, what the Warriors have put together, but. I and mean, let's face it, that team's a little, a little top-heavy as well. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there's somewhat, I won't say on even ground, but it, it's probably a little closer than it feels to LeBron right now. Uh, this whole thing just doesn't make sense to me. Like you said, uh, <laughs> the fact that you know his criticism does not seem to be well-founded. And I'd agree with Griffin that, you know, if there's any complacency, and there may be at times, and we're all expecting that throughout the long season, that at some point, especially in the middle of this, the year, there will probably be you know, some slippage for even the best teams. But mm-hmm. especially when you're the Cavs and you're pretty much expecting to go to the finals regardless. But you know, if there's any complacency right now, it feels like it's on the court. It's not organizational. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'd agree with him. It's not ideal that with LeBron, that is, that it's not ideal that they don't have a backup point guard, really. But 
you know, you can't you can't basically tell management what to do and who to sign, and then point at them <laughs> right. when you don't like the results. You know, yes. they've pretty much done what he's asked. And yeah, they're top heavy, but that's it, kind of the way the league is at the moment. Like I said, the, the Warriors are as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would prefer like a more well-rounded team, but the fact of the matter is, you can't really win a championship anymore with one star, and probably not even two. <laughs> you know, you gotta right. have the big threes. That's we're in the big three era, so it it just it doesn't make sense uh, that he's angry. I can understand wanting to guard against being complacent but there again talk to your team in-house and and, and deal with it that way I, I don't think that you get mad at the, the management especially when they've been on your side trying to do what you want right yeah I think that is the the big takeaway for me as well you know he's the one who pushed them to sign Tristan Thompson to a mm-hmm. huge deal he's the one who pushed them to sign J.R. Smith and jump to huge deals they don't have that much flexibility outside of that point. So, like, you know, if if you wanted them to have the flexibility to make a more well-rounded roster, you couldn't sign those guys for as much as you did. Like, money, you know, th- there is a limit to how much mm-hmm. you're allowed to spend without paying just an exorbitant luxury tax. And Dan Gilbert has proven willing to pay an exorbitant luxury tax. I think he paid like $50 million last year, and he's headed toward close to 30 this year. So it's not like, you know, this is not like the Donald Sterling Clippers where he just cut corners at all costs and, you know, really tried to trim the payroll. The Cavs are spending a boatload of money. It's just a lot of their money is locked up into their big three, into Tristan, into JR, into Shumpert which does limit their flexibility otherwise. Um, I'm with you. I don't think they need to go crazy and blow up the roster. Like we saw this roster work well uh, last year. The only major subtractions are Delhi and Timothy Mozgov, the latter of whom is not all that useful against the Warriors anyway. Uh, and frankly, Kevin Love is playing so much better now than he was last year. That's a, basically a huge upgrade as is. You know, we talked about this, I think, probably two episodes ago at this point with the Kyle Korver trade. Like, mm-hmm. David Griffin continually makes something out of nothing. Um, and it's really impressive, given his lack of flexibility, how he continues turning. You know, he got J.R. and Shump two years ago. He turned, like, Mo Williams, he turned a retired player and Mike Dunleavy Jr. into Kyle Korver, who is a career 40-plus percent three-point shooter. Like, that's not easy uh so i don't think they need to you know we'll (laughs) we'll talk shortly about the knicks i don't think they need to engage the knicks in a trade um i don't think they need to move love at all i just think they should wait to see what happens uh with the buyout market you know uh, there's reports that larry sanders is sniffing around the nba uh looking for a team so if they're concerned with their rim protection for whatever reason you could sign him to a minimum deal. They do have an open roster spot. Look, you know, LeBron said, look, we can't really count on uh, DeAndre Liggins and Kay Felder and Jordan McRae to win us a playoff game, which is a fair point. But at the same time, your depth is more of an issue in the regular season than it is in the playoffs anyway. Like, rotations are going to shorten once you're in the playoffs. 
back-to-backs are no longer an issue, so you can play 38 minutes a night if you need to. I'm sure now he's just frustrated because he's being taxed more than he expected to. Like, he's playing a lot more minutes than the Cavs wanted him to play coming into the year. So I'm sure some of that is just like, man, I wish we had more warm bodies uh, <laughs> so I didn't have to play so many regular yeah. season minutes that I could save myself for the playoffs like I did last year. But, you know, J.R. Smith's injury was that that was a big, um, big effect of that injury. It forced more of a load onto the big three. So I'm with you. I don't think they make anything, any major moves. Just wait to see who gets bought out, you know, or if anything, like, I forget who mentioned Tim Frazier on Twitter, but he seems, I think it was Keith Smith of, um, of 16 wins a ring. Uh, he mentioned him as like a possible target to go and get because Tim Frazier is not playing hardly at all in New Orleans since Drew Holiday came back. So he's pretty cheap. Um, but he showed, you know, with Holiday out early in the year, he showed that he is very capable of, you know, playing some spot minutes. Definitely. So that, that could, former, former yeah. my crush on this segment. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be kind exactly. of a nightmare if they got him for, in my, I mean, I'd be happy for him though, because that would be yeah. a great opportunity and it would be a, a great fit. That's pretty much what they're looking for. Uh, if we're being honest though, I mean, one of their biggest problems during this stretch is they're not getting stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they gave up well over a hundred to the Pelicans without AD. So yeah, that was the bigger problem. They have to be fixed. Um, there again, right. they have, you know, just got Corver and he's not fully integrated yet. So he's probably still, you know, he's not known as a great defender anyway, and he's still learning what they want to do. Yes. So I think they need to give it a little time, but they need to look at their defense first of all. I mean, their bench yeah. play hasn't been great, but like you said, they are missing JR. So you, know, you just can't expect it to be awesome. Right, that's a that's a fair point. Uh, Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be a nightmare because now like the Raptors are kind of crappy on D, the Celtics have been awful all year on D, so yeah. it's just going to be like a track <laughs> race, which is usually what we expect for the West. There'll be a nice change of pace there. So let's talk now about the Knicks, who we talked about them last week. I thought we were going to be done with that for a little while. Unfortunately, we have to go right back into the well. Because on, I believe it was on Wednesday, that ESPN.com's Mark Stein and Chris Haynes reported the Knicks had proposed a Carmelo Anthony for Kevin Love swap. Uh, Surprisingly, the Cavs had no interest in getting older and worse. Uh, But according to the Verticals, Adrian Wojnarowski and Chris Mannix, they reported this on Thursday, that the Knicks have also reached out to the Celtics and Clippers to gauge their interest in Melo as, quote, Phil Jackson is determined to find a destination and deal that Anthony would agree to accept before the February 23rd NBA trade deadline. Just a reminder, Melo does have a no-trade clause in his contract, which complicates any potential deal. Like, he's probably not going to the Kings, unfortunately. <laughs> um, they, they, uh, Woj and Mannix also said that Jackson is basically committed at this point to building around Christoph Porzingis as the next future, and he realizes... You know, the mellow thing, he's 33. He's not going to be relevant by the time the Knicks are ready to compete for a, a title again. Here's the way it caught my eye, though. So Frank Izzola of the New York Daily News reported that the Knicks are open to doing a mellow deal with the Clippers, even if it does not include one of the big three. And for whatever it's worth, under the current CBA, they cannot acquire Blake Griffin because you can't have two players... Uh, on your roster 
who are on designated max rookie contracts, which that will change in the next CBA. But I think you still can't even get two guys from trades who are on those deals. So nitty gritty there. But basically, they are not allowed to acquire Blake. Um, you know, they have <laughs> they have a bunch of centers at this point. So you're probably not going to go after DeAndre Jordan. And something tells me the Clippers are not going to trade Chris Paul for Carmelo Anthony. So uh, Dan Woke of the uh, Orange County Register, I believe, he said Austin Rivers would almost certainly be included in any deal for Carmelo. But I, it, the, the, I'd say the surprising part of that to me is, you know, if you're willing to make that trade without one of the big three, it seems like you have a more realistic perspective of what Carmelo can net you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they might actually be able to get a deal done if they do that. There again, if it went through, I'm, I don't even think it would really be a bad idea for the Clippers, depending on exactly what goes back. But I mean, you want to talk talk about top heavy? There again, I mean, the Clippers have yeah. never been deep to begin with. Uh, this was probably their potentially best best year for that. And yeah, if you made the deal, there would go whatever depth you had, but. Top heavy is the new black, I guess. <laughs> so, but I, I love this tweet from John Heyman of FanRag Sports. It says, from a distance, Phil Jackson's strategy to tell everyone Carmelo sucks before trying to trade him seems a bit iffy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's a fair man. point. Yeah. That's a very fair sure. point. Yeah. I mean, we, we did. We talked about this just last episode. And I said, well, it really seems like. That's what Phil's working on. He's really trying to get rid of him. And, yeah, why make all those statements about how you don't like how he stops the ball and all this other stuff if you want to get rid of him? Just <laughs> there again, stop talking to the media. Just right. keep it all in-house. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I understand wanting to build it around Kristaps. I think we all think that's the play. But mm-hmm. Carmelo is on your roster, and he has a tr- no-trade clause. So, you know, you can't just ship him off anywhere. Right. A no-trade clause that you gave him, Phil mm-hmm. Jackson. Like, you did not have to do that, and you, you chose to. You did not have to sign him to a $5 million less than max deal, but you chose to. So this is of your own doing. And I feel like this is not the first time we've said Phil Jackson just needs to stop talking to the media. That's true. Like, he, he and Derek Rose are on the same plan. Just never speak. It's like the, the real-life version of never tweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I... I I I guess if they're really willing to sell that low on Carmelo, that they're like willing to take Austin Rivers and change, you know, it's not like the Clippers, as you mentioned, are like rolling in assets. Like they're they've traded away most of their depth, so, so it's going to be a really unappetizing poo poo platter. Um, the Celtics are the one team that you know has the assets to trade for him among those three. Uh, but apparently they've expressed no interest in the deal. And also, like, you're not getting the Nets, either of the next Nets picks. Like, you're definitely not getting this year's or next year's. Um, I don't know, like, they're not, I don't think they would trade, you know, they're not going to trade Horford for him. They're not going to trade Isaiah Thomas for him. Maybe if you're, like, if you're scared of what, Avery Bradley's going to command in free agency after the 2017-18 season. Maybe you trade him. I don't think they trade Jalen Brown for him. And, you know, I don't, I doubt they trade Jay Crowder for him. I feel like you, you want Jay Crowder 
to be the three and Melo would be the four and Horford would be the five. So it's like at that point you're you're looking at like Marcus Smart and Terry Roger and like a 2018 first round pick from Boston, which is also just considering what the Knicks gave up for Melo, you know, way back when to get that kind of a return would be a huge slap in the face and it'd be tough to sell to the fans. So yeah, I, I mean, go back to last week and you could hear both of us lamenting the end for the Knicks and Carmelo Anthony, but it does seem like it's coming. And we just kind of have to keep an eye out on the trade rumor mill over the next couple weeks to see how low they're willing to sell. Because I really think, you know, I think it comes down to the Knicks more than other teams. I don't think anyone is going to offer them even like 60 cents on the dollar. Like they have to expect 20 and if they get 30, they need to pounce right away. Yeah, that's just a shame that the whole deal or no deal situation was entirely of Phil's own doing. Like he created this feels like need to trade milk. There was no need just, you know, he, he's a hometown guy. He's enjoying being there. He's a star. Yeah. He's, you know, older, but they should have found a way to try to have him and and, uh, Chris Dobbs coexist and, just enjoy these years and then then you can move on. I don't think it was going to that significantly stunt the the development of Porzingis. So yeah. You know, this this did not need to happen at all. Right. If anything, I think Melo's presence helped Porzingis yeah. because, you know, he came into the league uh the big fear about him was that he wasn't NBA ready. Like his body is not ready to take the pounding of being a front court player. He's pretty real thin. Um you know, having Melo there, he doesn't have to be the number one option right away. Kristaps can be the number two, mm-hmm. uh, which is good for him. He doesn't need to take over games every single, you know, every night. Like, he can have those big explosions, but then he can also have an off game, and, like, the New York media is not going to kill him. Right. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think Melo's presence was a positive for Kristaps as he came into the league, and it makes me you know, a little scared of what happens when they do trade him because then you're if you're trading Carmelo and you're getting very little in return, then you're basically saying, like, this Kristaps kid is worth it, which, you know, I think it's safe to say both of us think he is. Uh, but we haven't seen him in that role as the guy on a night-to-night basis. And that worries me a little bit. Like, that's, you know, on Twitter lately, it's kind of been, like, which unicorn do you want the most? Like, do you want like Towns or Embiid or Porzingis or Miles Turner or Anthony Davis even? And you know the thing about Brow, Towns, and Embiid is we've seen them dominate in that number one role. You know, Embiid for half a season, Towns now for a season and a half, Davis for far longer. Uh, we haven't seen that from Porzingis or Miles Turner yet. So, you know, I think they can handle it. I, I just think they're such unique talents that their skill sets will win out in the long run. But it does make me worried that, you know, the New York media, which does not have the reputation of being very patient, uh, if Porzingis has a couple bad games, you know, he's been kind of dealing with some off and on Achilles soreness for a while now. Uh, <laughs> it makes me a little worried. But also, as you said, there there wasn't 
there, there was no deadline to trade Carmelo. Like they didn't have to make, there was no, no one had a gun to your head saying <laughs> we have to do this by February yeah. 23rd. If you want to shop him, there's a way to do it. Just do it quietly. Like don't leak, you know, to Charlie Rosen, which is where this whole damn thing started with saying like Carmelo has outlived his usefulness in New York. Don't, what, you know, you're forcing your hand there and you're, you're killing your own trade value. It's it was similar to like when Nerland Noel came out and said, you know, I'm unhappy in Philly. I don't get the point. Like we get it, you know. I'm sure they're working behind the scenes trying to trade you. But mm-hmm. if you come out and voice these frustrations publicly, teams are going to lowball you because they know you're suddenly under pressure to do this move. And I feel like the same thing is happening in New York. Yeah, entirely counterproductive. <laughs> you're not helping. Right, 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 right. No, that's a great point that you made about the, you know, it is a lot of pressure to begin with to be the number one and doubly so in New York. So that is, it's a great point. Yeah, so we will see what happens with the Knicks, but I'm going to guess that this will not be the last time we talk about them between now and the trade deadline next month. Sadly, Uh, probably true. (laughs) Yeah. So let's turn our attention quickly to the West Coast. Uh, to finish up our since last time segment, we need to talk about the Lakers, who suffered their worst loss in franchise history on Sunday. The Mavericks beat them 122 to 73. Uh, afterward, ESPN.com's Kevin Pelton wrote a great column about how far they are from contending. So I'd recommend everyone go and check that out. Uh, here's the the question I think that we need to answer. So they start off 10 and 10, and they look like you know. Ahead of schedule, Luke Walton's system is going well. D'Angelo Russell's playing well. Julius Randle is playing extremely well, looking kind of like a poor man's Draymond Green. So should fans, should they be dejected after you know seeing that start and now seeing how the season has spiraled? Or do you think this is actually going to be a good thing in the long run? I think it would be natural to feel you know a little disappointed because... Yeah, they got their hopes up a little bit, and then Lakers fans are kind of like Knicks fans. They do that. They naturally try to see the sunny side and make leaps of faith based on very little. But I think you know, if they take a step back, they realize that yeah, coming into the year, they didn't have a lot of expectations, and they didn't need to. They're going to be fine. They still have a really good young base. So, and like you said, this could probably help just what the team is going through, as long as they stay together and don't start doing things like what the Bulls are doing, and you know, <laughs> right. then you're fine. They're they're going through these growing pains together. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and it's worth noting, if they finish this year with a top three pick, they will keep it, and then they do not have to send a 2019 first rounder to Orlando. Instead, they will send 2017 and 2018 second rounders. Otherwise... God forbid, you know, they win a couple late season games, they fall to fourth, or like the lottery gods screw them over. Their first round pick will go to the Sixers, and their 2019 first rounder goes to Orlando. So, you know, if I'm a Lakers fan right now, I know you just suffered through a couple of really bad years uh, as Kobe hit his twilight, but that I cannot understate how important it is for the Lakers to tank, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Maybe this is just like a covert tank, like (laughs) having Kobe on your roster for the last three years. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is like the difference between adding, you know, someone like Josh Jackson or Jason Tatum 
and then having a first round pick two years from now when you know you're probably I don't think you're going to be championship contenders by then so you're probably going to get like a mid first rounder then that's a lot of young talent to add you know I'm doing a thing for b-ball breakdown right now where I'm ranking the best 25 and under cores uh and right now I have the Lakers fourth if you add a guy like Jackson or Tatum or Lonzo Ball or Dennis Smith you know, suddenly you're going to be challenging Philly for number three, depending on where they fall. Uh, but if you give that first round pick to Philly, and then Philly gets their own first round pick as well, suddenly the Sixers are moving up into the conversation for the top two. So, yeah, I think, uh, as you said, as long as they don't self-destruct like the Bulls and uh, start sniping in the media and all that good stuff, they'll they'll be okay. And they'll come out better in the long run if they do, uh, you know, continue Not losing over at this achieve. rate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. I've definitely yeah. seen the the tank season hashtag go around. I don't know how representative that is of the entire <laughs> Laker fan base, but I think you know, they understand. Yeah, especially at this point, it's better to to get that pick. But yeah, yeah, they're in a good spot. They'll be all yeah, right. for sure. I mean. The thing, when I'm putting them fourth in terms of young talent, they have a bunch of it. And then, like, Zubat is now playing well as well. You know, Larry Nance, Jordan Clarkson outside of their big three. The one problem is that they don't have, like, that surefire superstar. Like, mm-hmm. Brandon Ingram is the closest thing they have. We just haven't, the sample size isn't big enough to say he's definitely going to be, you know, a top 15 league-wide caliber player. You know, I think he will be. I think he has that kind of skill set, but you know, D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle seem like they'll settle a little bit below that. Like, you know, all star, a multi-time all star, but not like guy that you'll give your left leg to play <laughs> to have on your team. Uh, but you know, a- again, adding another top three pick to that core, now you suddenly have something that goes from like fun, frisky second round playoff contender to okay this team could be a title contender in five years so i'm glad that at least some lakers fans are embracing the tank because (laughs) you should be if you're not so now let's turn to our where amazing happens segment uh (laughs) i'd say the most amazing thing that happened aside from three teams trying to explode in a (laughs) in a single week the washington wizards let's give them a shout out so there's been hostility between them and the Celtics now for over a year. Uh, earlier this season, uh, there was a confrontation, and John Wall got a finger in his face, and he didn't take kindly to that. So on Tuesday, before their game in Washington, the Wizards players said, we're going to dress up in all black. And they did. They called it a funeral. <laughs> and then they went out and backed up their uh, backed up their wardrobe choice they won 123 to 108 afterward i don't think it's been revealed who this person was but one celtics player punched a hole in the wall at at the verizon center I missed so that. i yeah i don't know if if they have revealed who it is but there was definitely just a picture of like <laughs> a <laughs> a hole in the wall similar to odell beckham jr uh so sarah what do you think of this budding celtics wizards rivalry well it's fun you know it's we don't have enough of that probably in the league right now but hearing about it leading up to it i was you know kind of dreading it because i was thinking of that uh i think it was nick's 
Knicks Celtics playoff series from 2013, where the Knicks had the chance to uh, close out the series and they they dressed in all black as if it was going to be a funeral oh, yeah. and they lost. <laughs> yeah, so I guess you have to give the Wizards credit for at least um, at least backing it up. But my favorite part of the whole thing was was definitely Gortat walking in. Yes, <laughs> it wasn't my idea. Don't blame me. That was the best. Yeah, that really was. Uh, yeah, me. John, it's like just going along with it because you know you kind of right. have to. But uh. yeah, don't look at me, guys. This wasn't my idea. Yeah, it seemed like this was very much led by John Wall and Bradley Beal. Uh, and John Wall was in on Inside the NBA Thursday night, uh, and he talked a little bit about kind of this this budding rivalry between the two. So I, at this point, I'm kind of hoping the two cross paths in the playoffs somehow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. You know, it might take some. Well, I guess if the Celtics are three and the Wizards fall to six, that could be a, a fun first round series. So, fingers crossed that we see a little more bad blood between the Celtics and the Wizards in the coming months. Because yeah, aside from that, we don't have the on court excitement is waning as we enter the doldrums of the regular season. So we kind of have to just watches teams <laughs> self-destruct off the court. Uh, so we also got word of some dunk contest participants and also some notable absences. Unfortunately, Zach Levine will not be back in the dunk contest this year, according to ESPN Baxter Holmes. Neither will Larry Nance Jr., who has been nursing an injury for the last month. He was hoping to compete, but he said he's just going to you know, try to get better. Um, Aaron Gordon reportedly is going to participate, according to ESPN's Chris Haynes. Glenn Robinson III of Indiana is also in, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. And Haynes also reported that Derek Jones of the Phoenix Suns is in. If you did not know who that was, do not feel bad, because (laughs) neither did we until we heard of him. Uh, So, Sarah, are you excited for the dunk contest this year, and are you holding out hope for any other contestants to be named? You know, I never really get that excited for the dunk contest. And I find that's a good good way to be because then sometimes you're pleasantly surprised. That's true. Um, yeah, I am disappointed because there are some really great, especially in-game dunkers in the league right now. And unfortunately, <laughs> we only really have one of them that I know of involved. Um which would be Aaron Gordon, but I'm sure the other guys have some good stuff, so it'll be fine. But I am bummed about Larry Nance. Hopefully, eventually he gets uh, to where he's healthy enough and feels like he he has the opportunity to compete, and he won't have to worry about you know the rest of the season. He can just do it without anything else hanging over his head. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm likewise bummed about both Nance and Levine, but. I watched some Derek Jones clips last night. He's he's fun. Like, I I don't think you know. I'm always worried that like the lack of name recognition will kind of take away from the 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 festivities. But you know, last year I'd say no one outside of like hardcore NBA fans or like Orlando and Minnesota fans really cared about Levine and Aaron Gordon, yeah. and they put on one of the best shows we've seen in years. So I'm hopeful. I'm I'm gonna <laughs> right. stay optimistic. Uh, I'm not, you know. I think I'm with you. I, I'm not gonna set my expectations too high. I don't know how you top last year, to be honest. Like that was just ten after ten, or whatever, fifty after fifty after fifty right. after fifty. Uh, so it's gonna be a challenge to beat that. But 
I I will keep my fingers crossed. And you know, the one guy that I do not want to see Joel Embiid in there because it will freak out every time he lands. Uh, Or God forbid if he flubs a landing and gets hurt, that would just be the end of me. But DeAndre Jordan has repeatedly said that he would do it only if he made the All-Star game. He is now a first-time All-Star. So, you know, this that was just announced Thursday night. It's been less than 24 hours since. We don't know who else is in the dunk contest, but let's let's hold out hope. DeAndre could be could be Duncan against Aaron Gordon. Uh, another quick shout out to one of the more ridiculous injuries we've seen in quite some time. <laughs> Ennis Cantor of the Oklahoma City Thunder will now be out for the next six to eight weeks. He got in a fight with the chair on the Thunder's bench against the Dallas Mavericks on Thursday night, and he lost that fight, uh, fractured his forearm. So, Sarah, thoughts about just how... Why? Why did he do this? And what What does it mean for OKC? I, I want to know what went through Russell Westbrook's head when he heard about it. He's got to be so upset. Like, really? I'm trying yeah. to carry this team. You're one of the guys who, yeah, can help me score. And then you do this. Right. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to laugh at him. But, yeah, that's... That's just bad, man. That's uh, and and somebody else pointed out, and I noticed this during the game too. Like he slammed both hands down on the court at one point too in frustration. It's like you're just mm. asking for. What did we talk about last time? Uh, the paranoia and the fear around hands, <laughs> right. hands, forearms, wrists. You know, you don't need to invite injury like that. I mean, Kawhi just missed. I told you he had been looking at his hand. He just missed two games with a sore hand. So yeah, you know, it's not something to play with, but. And I think we've all injured ourselves doing silly things. I tore my MCL trying to get into a kayak once. So There you go. I mean, at least really? I wasn't doing anything out of frustration and temper, <laughs> but it happens. Oh gosh. That that sounds that sounds awful. It did was you awesome. make it into did you make it into the kayak? I got in and I kayaked, but oh, oh my <laughs> gosh. I had already paid for the hour, so Oh, so you gotta do it. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't have money to throw away. Yeah. But yeah, the dock was too high. I maintain because I had oh, like okay. I had ninety percent of myself in, but like my right leg was still on the dock. That's uh-huh. how that happened. So, yeah. Well, if, if it's any condolence, my wife is now accusing me of herniating a disc in my dog's back because I tried to do raise the dog with him instead of raise <laughs> oh my the cat. God. Yeah, so poor dog. <laughs> he's he's been he's been walking funny a little bit this week. So yeah. It's uh, not so, raise the dog, Brian. You can't just I go know. raising dogs. Well, you know, I don't have a cat, so that's <laughs> that's the best I could do. But there you go, NS Cancer. You're not the only one who gets hurt in stupid ways. Mm-hmm. And we we have to remember a couple of years ago, remember Amari Stoudemire punched mm-hmm. the fire extinguisher and uh cut up his hand. So this is you're right. I think you're right with the hand thing. Like just don't if carry your hands. Yeah, like same thing with writers. Like I'm not gonna go <laughs> do stupid stuff with my hands because I need that to make my living. I, if you're a basketball player, you need your hands. Don't don't go punching things that you shouldn't be punching. Uh, all right. So the last thing we need to touch on before we hit our crushes of the week, ESPN Kevin Arnovitz uh, on Thursday dropped a massive feature on Demarcus Cousins and the Kings, basically asking if. The King's dysfunction is what's 
kind of led to this bad perception of Boogie, or if Boogie's temperamentalness has contributed to the King's dysfunction, or if it's kind of a symbiotic, I guess the opposite of a symbiotic relationship. Um, I mean, I, I would just recommend everyone go read it. It's a really good, uh, good piece. You know, obviously one of my favorite takeaways was they mentioned the Sixers trade where they got Nick Stauskas and these pick swaps and whatnot. Uh, and as confirmed, it, it had been reported before, but Arnovitz confirmed that Vlade Divac did not know you had to make an official trade call for the trade to be uh, confirmed by the league. So I think that basically sums up the state of the Kings front office. But Sarah, were there any big takeaways for, for uh, uh, from the article for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, there were some great quotes in there. We could probably spend a whole podcast talking about it, especially mm -hmm. because it was, like, biblical in length. But Right. <laughs> um, I definitely think, and it's something we didn't discuss uh, when we talked about being a little surprised about Boogie reportedly being interested in, in signing the extension, mm -hmm. um, is that aside from the 200 million really good reasons that we talked about, <laughs> right. um, honestly, I think it's a it's a somewhat of a win-win situation for him in that as long as he's there, people will always put at least a little bit of his outbursts on the gang's dysfunction. Mm. You know, it always will, will somewhat be, well, if he had a, a better coach or a better uh, front office, you know, this might not happen. So <laughs> that's that's beneficial to him. Um, but honestly, I I think, and that's kind of the point that the article makes is, it's pretty clearly both both things are true. He he has yes. some some outburst problems that really are not even related to the Kings because you know when you're on the court and you're upset at officials every two seconds that doesn't have anything <laughs> to do with you know your team and you have to be able to deal with some of the things not going your way. I mean, people right. say, well, you know, Pop could a coach like Pop could handle it. Even Pop will tell you you can't really change people and they they're very serious about you know, the type of people that they bring in for that reason, you know, it still yeah. comes down to the person, but obviously the Kings have their fair share of problems too. So yeah, definitely would recommend reading it. Um, there's, there's some great stuff in there. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, we mentioned just kind of their dysfunction as an organization in general. If you look at, so they, since they had uh, DeMarcus Cousins, they got him fifth, in 2010 in the draft so i'm just gonna briefly touch on their picks since yeah. then seventh overall in 2011 was bismack biombo he did not play a single minute for the franchise uh they traded him uh that was the deal where they got jimmer um that didn't work out well for them either uh the next year they got thomas robinson fifth overall Ben McLemore, seventh overall in 2013. Nick Stauskas, eighth overall in 2014, who is now on the Sixers, who they salary dumped to the Sixers. Uh, Willie Cauley Stein in 2015, number six overall. And then they traded Marquise Chris to the Suns. He was the eighth pick uh, this past summer. They also, Arnovitz's article mentioned, they also had Isaiah Thomas and they got rid of him. And now he is playing, you know, he just got named to his second All-Star game. He was the number 60 pick. So it was like, it really, they got him in the same draft as Bismack. 
Uh, so like IT and DeMarcus Cousins really could have come into their own at the same time, but uh, it wasn't to be. So yeah, I think you bring up a really good point about uh, how the King's dysfunction is kind of giving Boogie a shield. Uh, and that, you know, there is always this sense of mystique. Like if he goes to the Celtics or if he went to the Warriors, God forbid, or the Spurs, you know, all of a sudden, if he's still having the, these outbursts, it's not like, oh, well, you know, they're letting him get away with murder. Greg Popovich isn't putting any discipline into him. It's, oh, okay, he's just kind of a hothead, and, you know, it's, that's never going to go away. Uh, I, I will say I would probably place a little more blame on the Kings than I would Boogie, because mm-hmm. at least, you know, Boogie's been productive. There are times, you know, Arnovitz's article mentions there are times where he plays lackluster defense. Uh, where his effort just seems to wane. Uh, he takes, I think, they mentioned, like, there are six or seven plays a game where he just makes, like, these boneheaded plays. Like, he takes a shot early in the shot clock he has no business taking, or he's, like, he's complaining to the ref so he doesn't get down on the other end, and they get the their four-on-five that they wanted to try a few <laughs> years ago. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you look at their track record, uh, drafting and transaction-wise as an organization since they've drafted Boogie, and it's just atrocious. So I I don't know how much he is to blame for, you know, their shortcomings. This And then, you know, their, their coaching overhaul is absurd. Like, the, the article talks about how he, he and Mike Malone were really starting to coexist, and then he got meningitis, and they fired Mike Malone and brought in George Carl, who was destined to fail with Boogie. So and, and did so without talking to him first. Right. <laughs> the, right. The article talks about that. That he was actually on his way to some some charity function. Oh yeah. And was called to come meet Ronadive and they're like, Okay. They basically called him away from the charity thing to say, <laughs> Yeah, we're firing Malone and he's like, right. Okay, well how long are you going to take to make the decision? They're like, oh, no, it's made. So he's yeah. like, well, then why call me? You know? Right. But like, it why is. divert me? Yeah. yeah. It, it talks about that trust is a big thing with him. And, yeah, there's no reason to really have any trust or faith or hope in what's yeah. going on there. Uh, yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. So everyone be sure to check that out. It's really just a very interesting look into the Kings that we haven't gotten since their ill-fated Grantland video with their draft process where they drafted <laughs> Nick Stauskas. Uh, all right, so let's close things up this week with a look at our crushes of the week. Again, this is a look at players who are not getting as much national attention as they deserve. Sarah, who's your crush of the week? Actually, picked somebody who I thought you were going to pick. I really thought I knew you, Brian. I thought last year, <laughs> last uh, episode you were going to pick him because I think you've picked him before, which may have been part of the reason you didn't pick him again. But uh, your guy, Otto Porter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's taken over for the moment. Top three-point percentage in the league, 45.6%. Averaging 14 points, six and a half rebounds, one and a half assists, one and a half steals in 33.7 minutes. Shooting fifty three percent from the field, um, he's just a really solid player. He's gonna get a boatload of money, which <laughs> is sad because I'm sure any of us would love to have him on our <laughs> team, but yeah. it's probably not gonna happen. Um, I also love that I think it was the Grizzlies played them recently, and Tony Allen after the game was like, 
you know, there was nothing about this Otto Porter on the scouting report. It was all about <laughs> Beal and Wall. And, you know, Porter crushed him, which yeah. I, don't, I, I find it hard to believe that there was nothing about him on the scouting right. report. It was just See. throw your coaches under the bus. Yeah. But but that was great. Yeah, he's definitely a guy that doesn't you don't hear a lot about, but I think people in the league know, know he's pretty darn good. Yeah, I think Zach Lowe was the one who reported earlier this year that he was talking to a couple executives, and they say Otto's getting a max deal this summer, which, frankly, that, that worries me. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, I, I don't know that I would want Otto. I, I'm pretty happy the Sixers will probably be priced out of that one because he's a great player, as you said. Uh, you know, I've been following him since the Georgetown days. One of my happiest memories is when he single-handedly annihilated Syracuse at the Carrier Dome. <laughs> he just picked apart their zone all day by just raining in mid-range jumpers. Um, and he's like he's a great like complimentary guy. Like he's the great like glue guy, like number three option, which is that role he's play, playing yep. really well for Washington. But I worry with that kind of money, people will expect him to take like a Harrison Barnes-esque leap, like Harrison has in Dallas this year, and kind of take over as a number one scorer. Even going back to Georgetown, that wasn't his game. Like he's more in the mold of an Iguodala, a guy who just has a well-rounded uh, impact without scoring twenty-five, thirty a game. So I'm I'm gonna enjoy these last couple months of Otto as he stays <laughs> underrated before he gets paid a lot of money this summer and the national opinion turns on him. But I do hope that you know his paycheck will not influence the perception of him because he is a damn good basketball player. So good pick, Sarah. You, you know, you. <laughs> you know the way to my heart. I'm, Otto is that was like the last good memory of Georgetown basketball uh, that okay. we've been been able to enjoy for the last couple of years. Uh, I'm going to choose a guy who he he is getting some love on basketball Twitter and probably a little bit on Sports Center if I still watch Sports Center. Uh, Dion Waiters, Dion Waiters Island is filling up again, y'all. Uh, <laughs> so. Right now, Tyler Johnson and Josh Richardson are hurt, which has opened an opportunity for Waiters to move back into the starting lineup. Uh, it took him a couple games to get cooking, but he kind of previewed what he was going to do uh, with a 33-point outing against Milwaukee on Saturday. Then against the Warriors on Monday, again puts up 33 points, hits six three-pointers, five rebounds, four assists and a steal, including the game-winning three. I think you've probably at this point seen the meme of him posing afterward with his arms crossed and just basically saying, I'm the dude. Uh, And then he did it again against Brooklyn on Wednesday. He had another game-winning three-pointer, 24 points, eight assists, five rebounds. Miami has won five straight uh, with him in the starting lineup. So suddenly they're like resembling a real team again, even with Hassan Whiteside banged up. it's just fun to see Dion playing well because he's caught a lot of crap over the years, you know, about being that complimentary guy and thinking he's better than he is. Uh, it, it's fun to see him, at least for a couple games, living up to <laughs> the Dion we all knew he could be. So, yeah. bravo to you, Dion Waiters. Uh, and so that that's going to do it this week for the NBA podcast. As a reminder, check us out on Twitter at the NBA pod in our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles. So give us a follow as well. Check us out on iTunes as well. Uh, you can subscribe there, download, leave some reviews. We'd love any feedback and 
Be sure to follow FanRag Sports on Twitter at FanRag Sports and then at FanRag NBA for their NBA content. As always, I'm Brian Tapork, and I was joined by Sarah Chalea. Sarah, hopefully next week we won't have to talk about half a league trying to rip itself apart. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. All right. As always, it was good talking to you. You too. All right. Take care. What do you get when you twist together the rush of a wood coaster with the gravity-defying aerial thrills of a steel coaster? You get Twisted Timbers, King's Dominion's all-new hybrid coaster. You get speeding barrel rolls, rumbling G-forces, and white-knuckle inversions. In other words, it's a ride like nothing you've experienced before. So prepare yourself for the unexpected thrills of Twisted Timbers, the area's first hybrid roller coaster. And for a limited time, everyone pays kids' price at kingsdominion.com. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clean. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi oh! This next one's for you too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.